This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hi, I'm Mike Boris, and this is Straight Talk. I think anybody that's listening to that going, yep, that's my life, should ask yourself, what the fuck are you doing? Stop it. I'm going to talk about the meaning of life. Your instincts have a compass that points two directions. What excites you? What drains you? So I basically sold my company in 2008 and have intentionally not earned a dollar since. You haven't had a job since? No, no, nothing. I mean, I even the money I make from other things I do, like when people buy my books, it all just goes straight to charity. It never touches my hands. I said, this is enough. I will never need more than this for my entire life. I joined a circus at the age of 18, lived in the back of a van. I had plenty of role models of people that were living somewhat hand to mouth, but yet free. Pursuing more would lead to more money, more problems. How do you set values? Because a lot of people will listen to this and they think, wow, I want to live this life, but they don't know how to go about it. I just have a certain aesthetic that I like having no more than is necessary. It's good to ask yourself what you really want and not just go with the template of what most people around you do. Jason, was welcome to Straight Talk, mate. <laughs> Thanks. You all right? It sounds like you've had a hectic hour. Pretty hectic. Uh, it's funny. It has some relevance to maybe what I want to talk to you about today. But, yeah, we, we've had a pretty mental period here in Australia. I, I understand you live in New Zealand these days, or at the moment yep. at least. And um, they're probably going through the same sort of thing. But Australians who have mortgages and are, are living in a mortgage prison, what I refer to it as, and uh, interest rates have been going up here crazy and people don't know what to do. They feel like they're some, somehow um, stuck. And uh, it's funny, you know, you are not someone who gets like that. Um, you live a different style of life. And maybe my audience, my financial services audience should be listening to this podcast, to be honest with you. Um, you're, you're, you're like, you know, like you've got what it looks like, it seems to me anyway, that you've got the ideal life, you know, just <laughs> chilling and uh, sort of not really in any sort of prison, um, you know, yeah. at least conceptually. Is that something you've always wanted to do? Is that, is that, has that always been your deal or is there something you discovered about yourself and decided to execute? Yeah, I think that that can come from every little decision you make along the way. So it's not just something that happens all at once at the end. It's something that you have to keep choosing at every little fork in the road, you know, um, going back to when I was a teenager, you know, I always made the choices that gave me more freedom and chose those over the ones that might've given me more status, more income and, you know, whatever I might've chosen, but I chose the, always chose the one with more freedom. That's interesting. Uh, cause you know, when I was growing up, for me, it was always not so much about status, but making money cause I had no money. Um, my family had no money. So I, I guess what I want to do is not live like my family lived. I'm you know, scraping and scrounging around the all the time and always worried about recessions and, you know, lo dad losing his job and stuff like that. You know, he worked hard, but there was always a – he didn't have any control over his life in a financial sense. So I sort of went the other way. Um, I thought, well, I've got to change that for myself. That was a positive – that was a, an, affirmative, an affirmation I had in my mind how is it that someone when you're a young person like you can make that freedom choice over and above financial freedom, for example? I think it's because we've seen 
people talk about the rat race and feeling stuck and people who aren't living the life they want because they bought themselves a big house with a big mortgage and so now they're slaves to it. And I was able to see that even as a teenager and just say, I don't want to live like that. I'd rather earn less money and be free than more money and be stuck. So it also helped that I had good role models. So I joined a circus at the age of 18, uh, a traveling circus, lived in the back of a van uh, for a lot of the next 10 years, from the age of 18 to 28. I was the ringleader MC of a circus. So the people around me were jugglers and professional magicians and face painters. <laughs> and I had plenty of role models of people that were living somewhat hand to mouth, but yet free. You know, if you had $10,000 saved up, you were all set for a year. So uh, that's actually what happened. The last time I had a job was 1992. I had saved up $12,000 in 1992 US dollars. And I was like, that's it. I'm free. I don't have to work a job anymore because I've saved up $12,000. I can afford now to just be a freelance full-time musician. And yeah, that was the last time I had a job. Maybe if I was, you know, I'm listening to that and I think, that, oh, I love the idea, it sounds really cool, but someone else might say, yeah, but uh, Derek, when I turn 65, I want to have paid my house off because I want to be stable and secure and free not to have to worry about renting in a place and uh, have to deal with a landlord and, you know, blah, blah, blah. So therefore I'm going to invest and pay things off for the next 40 years, 30, 40 years. So when I turn 65, I can retire, let's call it more free or with more choices. How do you sort of reconcile that sort of stuff? I mean, no doubt you have. Um, I think that's a trade-off you make. <laughs> yeah. If that's what you really want, you really want to live in a five-bedroom house with two cars and all that, well then, you're fucked. You're stuck. That's it. You've made that choice. That's what. That's the... Uh, that's the trade-off. So, for example, I've never had health insurance. Uh, for most of my life, I didn't own a house. Um, actually, I do own this house now, but I do not like it. And I would, I, I'm just planning on just selling it and going back to just renting just to be free again. I'd rather be in a one-bedroom apartment than this house that I'm in. So, um, I just keep making those choices. And, I, and every now and then I test it, you know. Like I, when buying this house, I thought, you know, maybe it would be nice to own a house for once. And I bought it and like, no, I don't like this. I'd rather be renting a one bedroom. Life could be simpler and freer. So, um, yeah, everybody has their own preferences and choices and th these are mine. That intrigues me, Derek. What, what is it that you, like, like now, right now, what is it you don't like? Is it the design or is it that because you're sort of – because you own it, you're sort of tied to it in that – because I, I actually understand some of that because I have a few houses and in different places and I often say to people, people say, oh, wow, how lucky you are. And I say, well, yeah, but it's funny. I, I feel like I've got to go and occupy them all the time <laughs> because, you know, I'm not using them and uh, and I've got staff there and, uh, you know, the, nothing goes properly and everything sort of gets overgrown or people, you know, because I'm not there, people do what they bloody want and – uh Sometimes I find it a bit of a burden, to be honest with you. Um, but then I think, well, if I sell everything and, you know, we just want to put the money in the bank because I don't really like banks um, and we don't want to give them the use of my money and they, they rip you off and they don't pay you very well. So it's sort of a bit of a quandary. Uh, yeah, I, I, yeah. could you just maybe help me out here a little bit because, <laughs> because uh, you know, I, what, what is it about living in, and own, sorry, owning and living in the house right now that you have. Well, what is it you don't like? Um, well, first I got to say, when you say that you've got a few houses, my my first reaction is, oh, I'm sorry to hear that. Yeah. That sounds like what a drag, what a burden, Purgatory. what a weight. <laughs> um, uh, I just have a certain aesthetic that I like having no more than is necessary. Um, I was just on Tim Ferriss's podcast last week. And we recorded it here at my house. And the first thing he teased me about is he went to pour himself something to drink. And I only have three glasses. <laughs> so he starts the podcast. We hit record. And he starts out by saying, okay, audience, I need to tell you, I'm in Derek's house. 
And this crazy mofo has three glasses. <laughs> That's it. And I said, yeah, not only that, I don't even know where they came from. They're not mine. Um, so I don't like having more than I need. That that's reflected in the computer code that I write. I write my code by hand so that there's not a single line of code that doesn't need to be there. Uh, I like that in my wardrobe. I only have two pairs of pants because why would you need more than two pairs of pants? And uh, and I feel that about housing. So even though I, I bought this house with an ex and we had a different lifestyle in mind, uh, but now that it's just me here, there's like four bedrooms and one of them is its minuscule little office with just enough room for a desk. That's where I spend all my time. The rest of the house is just wasted, like cobwebs are appearing. And and yes, I could hire somebody to clean it. Yes, I could spend an hour a week and clean it myself. But what a drag. Why even have it? I'm not using it. I'd rather just be in a little one-bedroom apartment. And personally, I like moving every year or two. I don't own any stuff, so moving takes me an afternoon. And I just like being in different places. So um, I know anybody listening to this is just like, all right, Mark's interviewing a weirdo. But um, it's good to ask yourself what you really want and not just go with the template of what most people around you do. Uh, and sorry, I should answer, I should have just wrapped up there, but... There's one more thing that needs to be said is I've also had some good anti-role models. So I mentioned that when I was in the circus, I had some role models of people that really happy and free earning $2,000 a month. Uh, but I've also had some anti-role models of super rich friends that had three big houses and I would heal all of their woes. And... Uh, when it came time to sell my company, I talked to a friend of mine that had just sold his company, but the company that bought it um, paid him extra to stay on as an advisor. And he talked about how much that sucked, that he went from being a business owner to being an employee inside this company. So when it, luckily I heard that tale before I sold my company. So when I went to sell my company, I said, all right, here's my terms. <laughs> the day you transfer that money, I'm gone. Never speak to me again. And I just made sure to include that because I had the anti-role model of this friend uh, and heard his woes. And I've had the anti-role model of friends with many houses telling me that it was nicer in theory than in practice. So I think I've been, um, my actions have been shaped by the anti-role models as well. I remember once when I was, uh, I was working in India, the very first time I ever went to India and we had, we, we, we built a business up in India in the early 2000 period and um, I used to travel there every six weeks and we had like 500 staff or something like that which is, was growing quite quickly and one of the things I noticed about my employees, no one had any money, everybody, they were all very poor um, but they're always happy, always happy. Everybody in India, there's 1.4 billion people, it's probably different now today because the middle class has got a lot larger, et cetera. But I'm going back, you know, 15, uh, 16, 17 years. India was, Indian people, even the people living on the street, even the people living in little shanties were always happy, always smiling amongst each other. And they look like they just happy because they had enough to eat because the government sort of looks after them there. So sort of a communism coalition of with another government. So everybody always gets fed. I mean, obviously there'll be some periods where some of the people don't get fed, but generally speaking, and I, I was actually amazed at this phenomenon, um, these Indian people always smiling, always smiling. The same I experienced the same in Sri Lanka. People there always smiling, even though they had the most menial job and earning the lowest amount of money. There was one girl in Sri Lanka I remember talking to her. She used to travel four hours in the morning by bus to the job and four hours at night. Like she's spending eight hours at it, but she's sleeping on the bus to go to work, but she was just happy to have a job. A young girl with the biggest, widest smile you've ever seen in your life and uh, always happy. Maybe what you're saying, there's something in that. They're, they're not role models for me so much, but they're definitely observations along the lines you're, you're talking about. The yeah. more you got, the more obligations you got, the more responsibility you got, and the, heart, the more a grind life might be. Is that something that you've drawn out of your experiences? The more you have in physical sense, property, shares, businesses, I could have. I think I stopped where I did because I feared that pursuing more 
would lead to more money, more problems, you know. So um, my rich friends think I'm a slacker and my poor friends think I'm hyper ambitious. So it's it's a spectrum in between. So I basically sold my company in 2008 and have intentionally not earned a dollar since. You haven't had a job since? No, no, nothing. I mean, I even the money I make from other things I do, like when people buy my books, it all just goes straight to charity. It never touches my hands. So that's intentionally. When I sold my company in 2008, I said, this is enough. I will never need more than this for my entire life. I am done earning money. I never want to earn another dollar again for the rest of my life. I'll do things that earn money, but then I just make sure it all goes straight to charity. So the money you got from the sale business um, prior to this, did you just take it and put it in the bank and just live off the interest? I mean, how, how, well, what did you do? Were you living off the capital? Like you're just eating into the capital? How do, how, uh, you, how do you live? In short, off the interest, yeah. Yeah, off the interest. So if the bank pays you X amount of dollars in interest, you can you can live off that. That's yeah, although to pay rent trouble. I'm curious when you said bank, like I don't, my bank accounts only have a few thousand dollars in them. I just keep everything in index funds in the right, stock okay. market. So, yeah, okay. um, yeah, I just kind of ride the wave of the economy. I don't uh, do any speculation. I just kind of stick it in three index funds that represent the world economy and just let it sit. I look at it about one hour a year. Yeah, so you're not sort of sitting there uh, obsessed about how the um, the uh, S- S- the, the uh, futures index in the US is going or whatever. <laughs> not yeah, at you're, all. You're, you're just going along. You're just cruising along with it, and whatever you need yeah. to take out, you take out when you need to take it out. And so, how then? That, that's pretty cool. Because I remember when I sold one of my businesses many years ago, um, I got General Electric shares, uh, shares in return for that, and it was quite a large sum. And uh, you know what happened to me? I, I come, become absolutely obsessed with the share market and the Dow Jones index because like, General Electric was a part of the Dow Jones. And uh, I, I became obsessed. It could go up one point today and 30 points tomorrow and down 60. And like it was like getting brain damage. Yeah. I'm so glad I don't have them anymore. But I, it was like getting brain damage. It's, and uh, I can sort of relate to what you say. Um, I, I I mean, you've got to look at it once a year, as you say, and just take out what you need when you need it and otherwise not worry about it. In your case, fear is the thing that drives you. Fear of having too much to look after is the thing that drives you to living a much more simple life and let's call it being more free or is it like – because the opposite applies to people like me and other people I know. It's fear of not having enough that drives us to keep striving is it fear in both our lives? No. For me, it's a dislike of waste. So, you know, if you think like an economist, economists are always looking at the marginal value of things. So yeah. uh, a thirsty man crawling in the desert, what is a glass of water worth to him? Versus uh, once you've given that man 100 glasses of water what is glass number 101 worth to him? Uh, I think it's the same thing with money that those, that first, I don't know, hundred thousand dollars I earned, that meant everything to me. That next hundred thousand I earned, that still meant something to me. And after a few more, and by the time I got to a million, I was just kind of done. I said, okay, well now, it, this just doesn't mean anything to me anymore. There's nothing I could do to use it. I've paid off all of my debts. I've even paid off my parents' debts. I've paid off my parents' <laughs> mortgages. Like, there's any more money I would earn now is just wasted. And I don't like waste. Um, yeah, I, I don't like seeing people waste things. I don't like, uh, like people who have... More than they earn, it's it's like hoarders. I don't know. In Los Angeles, I used to see this more. Um, I don't see it as much here in New Zealand. But you know those people that have like a mental disorder and they fill their cars with stuff like they, they're just absolute hoarders. Maybe they do it in their homes. Like they're just filled with thousands of things they don't need. They never, ever throw anything out. That's oh, a mental... crap. Yes. Yeah. It's a mental disorder. It's It's hoarding. And I think that about having too much money, that if you've already got more than you're going to spend, then the pursuit of more money is like a mental disorder. Um, 
the marginal value of more money is nil. It's you just kind of need to address your mental problems there. No offense. <laughs> no, no, no. It's, 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 uh, I mean, I don't really think about making money. I never have them. But, uh, but I, my think thought process about working and building and creating. I mean, and then if it brings money, I'm, I'm happy about that. Not yeah. all, not, not every time does it achieve that. Um, but I'm lucky enough to have a good. I've, I've had a good start, if you know what I mean. Like, uh, so I'm yeah. not that pressed for these things. But um, I had this. I have this concept of happy enough, and it sort of sounds like you're talking about that because people always say. Or what makes you happy, Mark? Or you know what? What do you talk? You know what's happiness to you? And I don't really have that concept. How do you feel about that concept of happiness? Or is it is is life all about just enough for Derek? What's enough for Derek? Hmm. I mean, there's a difference between deep happy and shallow happy. So, to me, shallow happy is eating an ice cream, but deep happy is being proud of yourself for not eating the ice cream and therefore you have a better body and you're going to live longer. Uh, I think a lot about deep happy and I never or almost never pursue shallow happy, but I'm constantly pursuing deep happy. The, the happiness of being proud of yourself, the happiness of uh, achievement, the happiness of setting out to do something difficult and succeeding in it, um, that's the kind of happiness I'm pursuing. I wouldn't mind pursuing that a little bit more because I find that fascinating. Um, in terms of deep happiness, you've made it very clear to yourself. It's, a, it's actually a very good way of not eating the ice cream, by the way, because you said that's shallow happiness and I'm not interested in that. I'm interested in something bigger than that. What are you trying to achieve from that? Like you want to be healthy, but is that because you want to uh, be better for your family? I mean, do you have wife and kids or, or kids? Do you have mm -hmm. children? Yep. Yeah, so is it because you want to be able to survive long enough to enjoy your children and grandchildren perhaps? What's your purpose of wanting to pursue deep happiness? Hmm. That's secondary. I mean, I love my kid more than everything else combined, but the the desire, the bigger desire for me, the biggest motivation is making yourself proud it's i think being proud means that your actions are aligned with your values i think that is what it's about so many of us value one thing but do a different thing you know we value being fit and lean and strong but we watch tv with a box of cookies and then we're upset at ourselves for acting against our values so to me, the deepest happiness comes from acting in alignment with your values. I think that's what I'm really talking about. So how does somebody set those values then? Um, and where, what do you draw on to set your values? Like, uh, if, could, would you say, yeah, they're my values, but once a week I can eat pizza and drink Coca-Cola and yeah. you know, eat a box of cookies. I mean, how do you set values? Because a lot of people will listen to this and they think, wow, I want to live this life. But they don't know how to go about it. It definitely takes a lot of reflection. I put a lot of time into my journal. It's really how I think. It's the main way I think. The secondary way I think is talking with friends. Um, but I really spend at least an hour a day in my diary, my journal, whatever you want to call it, asking myself questions and then most importantly, questioning my answers, because I think it's healthy to disbelieve your first reaction to things. Like you might say, uh, why do I want to do this? Because I want to earn money for my family. And so stop for a second, like, really? Are you sure? Like, is that what your family would say? Is that what matters most to your family? Is that you make money for them? They'll never see you, but you gave them money. That Then they're happy? Are you sure? <laughs> that might not be true. Um, or if you say, uh, it's really important to me to be an entrepreneur. I think, well, you've had this business idea for a few years you've been telling me about, but you haven't done it yet. Are you sure this is really important to you? Because if it was really, really important to you, you would have done it by now. I think you might be saying it's important to you because you think you should 
or somebody you admire is an entrepreneur and therefore you think that you should be too. But your actions reveal your values. You can look back at your past to see what you've done and it can be an indicator of what you actually value. And if you look back at those actions and you uh, are at peace with them, then I think they are an, a good indicator of your values. Or if you look back at those actions in disgust <laughs> and you're mad at yourself for acting that way, well, then it's time to do something about it and first admit it to yourself and say, I have been violating my values. This is not who I am. Uh, <laughs> fuck you, old Derek. <laughs> it's time for new Derek to take over. Um, and uh, act accordingly with what you really value. And that comes from reflection and quiet thought. I get the quiet thought piece. And uh, part of the problem, I think, is that most people don't get it. They get on the, um, they get on the hurdy-gurdy and they're sort of running and running and running and running and they're trying, yep. busy trying to pay the mortgage, pay the school fees, get yeah. the kids to this particular private school. I need this because I'm going my kids to this particular private school. I need to have this particular type of car to deliver my kids. Otherwise, everyone's going to look down. i got to wear a certain type of outfit. Oh, by the way, I've got to go do a mum's lunch at a special particular restaurant and I've got to drink this type of champagne, blah, 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 you know the story. Um, and therefore, they never really get a chance to do this quiet reflection. How, did, how do, you, do you purposefully or have you purposely set time aside in your life and do you talk to people about it or is this Derek doing it with himself I mean it's mostly myself but say my seven or eight best friends in the world when we talk we talk about real things we talk about recent epiphanies and things we're going through and stuff so sometimes actually I'd say most of my conversations with my friends begin with one of us saying hey let me ask your opinion on something what do you think about this you know um, or Hey, I was just thinking this. I came to this epiphany. What do you think? Um, but, oh, my God. Come on, Mark. The example of just, like, I need a certain outfit and a certain kind of champagne and attending these events. I think anybody that's listening to that going, yep, that's my life, should ask yourself, what the fuck are you doing? Stop it. Like, that is... what. Seriously, what, talk about the marginal value. Like, what's the real value of doing that? Are you trying to impress an invisible jury that you think will... Uh, give you a passing grade if uh, you do all these things correctly. I think, to me, that life is awful for basically anybody, unless you're really trying to get elected into political office and you really have to do those things in order to get elected to make the change you want to make. But anything short of that, um, I, have a, I have a metric that I wrote a book about. And it's called Hell Yeah or No. And the point is, especially if you're overwhelmed with options, whenever an, an option comes your way, you have to ask yourself, am I saying not just yes, but oh, hell yeah about this option? Meaning, an opportunity comes up, do you say, oh my God, that would be amazing. That would be one of the coolest things that ever happened to me. Absolutely, yes, count me in. Well, then you should say yes. But if you feel anything less than hell yeah, you should say no. Because basically everybody needs more space in their life. When you say no to almost everything, then it means that when that occasional hell yeah thing comes along, when you do get some opportunity that makes you say, oh my God, yes then now you have the time and the space to give it your full attention, to give it your all, to knock it out of the park, as the American baseball metaphor says. Um, because you aren't cluttering your life with a hundred other shallow little things that were just mediocre yeses, you have room. So I've been living by the hell yeah or no principle for, I don't know, 15 years um, I say no to almost everything and only if something really makes me go oh heck when you're ready to pop the question the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring at BlueNile.com you can design a one of a kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online 
Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at Burrow.com slash ACAST. That's Burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hell yeah. Oh my God, yes. Then I say yes. And because of that, I've got lots of time to journal and have a good life. Well, so what? I, that's interesting. So why do you, why do you, why do you feel? I don't know if you feel compelled. Why do you decide to write a book about this? So, hell yeah or no? <laughs> um, you know, I, do, I mean, do you see yourself as a a conveyor of thoughts or a, a philosopher? Because I mean, it's coming across to me like a f- philosophical um, sort of environment. You know, I, I feel like I'm talking to Aristotle or Plato or uh, <laughs> someone like that right now. I, I really do. I mean, the greatest. You know, I mean that in the most respectful way too. By the way. Um, but do you see yourself as a, a conveyor of philosophies and therefore feel compelled or feel like you just want to write a book to put all these ideas into a book so other so you can share with other people? In short, yes. Yeah. I used to think of myself as an entrepreneur. But after a few years, I realized that my heroes were the authors of these books I read. So... Anybody listening to this, if you go to my website, it's S-I-V-E dot R-S, which is just my name with a dot before the R-S. So S-I-V-E dot R-S slash book. You'll see that ever since 2007, every nonfiction book I read, I read with a pen in my hand and I underline or circle every cool, important idea in that book. And then when I'm done, I type them all into a text file and I put it up on my website for free. So you can see the last 400 books I've read with detailed notes on each one. And um, my heroes are the authors of these wise books. Like these books have changed my life absolutely. So much of who I am is from these books. The, the decisions I've made, the things that I've tried that I ordinarily wouldn't have thought of came from reading books like this and then reflecting on them, which is what those notes help for, and then acting in accordance with the epiphanies I've had from reading the books. So um, because I realized that these authors were my heroes, I realized that I don't actually um, worship or look that far up to any entrepreneurs, that really my heroes were these authors, and so therefore I realized, I think this is what I do now. I'm a writer, speaker, thinker kind of dude, not an entrepreneur so much anymore. Yeah. Well, a writer, speaker, thinker to me is an entrepreneur. Um, the change, to me, an entrepreneur is someone who makes, wants to make change no matter what it is, even if it's change in thought patterns or trying to move stubborn, indented processes, whether it's the way we live our life or the example I gave you before of the, you know, the let's call it the mums driving kids to the private school and that's sort of, you know, getting stuck on that hurdy-gurdy, changing their thoughts forever or permanently for good logical reasons. Um, that, that To me, that's an entrepreneur. I think you've still got the entrepreneurial well, thing in you, but not, well, you're not on, out there inventing something to make money. Wait, sorry to, like, sorry to interrupt. I don't want to be a, a bad guest, but... An entrepreneur no, is somebody who <laughs> an entrepreneur is somebody who starts a business. That's what entrepreneur means. There are teachers making amazing change. There are uh philosophers like you know, Australia's Peter Singer, who are making great change. Uh there are people uh going around planting trees every single day tirelessly for twenty years that are making great change. Uh, but none of them are entrepreneurs. I think an entrepreneur really is just somebody who starts a business. And then if you also do good things with it, then maybe you can be an entrepreneur who makes good change. But at its core, I think entrepreneur just means somebody who starts a business. 
Maybe that's. I think that's an old. To me, that's an old school thing. Um, <laughs> to be honest with you, with great respect. I mean, I see an entrepreneur <laughs> as somebody who believes in making change for good and goes about it like a business person in a business-like manner, like with steps and you know outcomes expected, and someone who can measure their outcomes. Like it could be just the number of people adopt or adapt a certain way of living. Um, that's that's probably maybe a better way of saying it. Entrepreneurial spirit as opposed to being an entrepreneur. It's probably a better way of putting it. So I see someone like you as someone exercising the entrepreneurial spirit in what you actually believe in and what you, you know, and how you try to change things by by being a philosopher and by being someone who communicates those ideas and thoughts, hoping, I, I'm not putting trying to put thoughts in your mind, obviously I can't, but um, hoping that other people might be inspired or motivated or see something they've never seen before and start thinking about ways of living their lives. Yeah. I see that as an entrepreneurial spirit in, in that is more in a spiritual sense as opposed to being a hard, fast, hard-ass business person who's trying to make it, you know, trying to sell a product or a service and make money out of it. It's slightly different, I guess. And But I, lo- I love that spirit is probably what I'm saying. It doesn't matter where that spirit gets um, expressed. And for me, you know, even like someone who's – like I, I see uh, Greta Thunberg as being entrepreneurial in her spirit – the way she goes about it, fearlessly, committed, because she believes in something fully and has to employ certain characteristics to make this thing happen because it's a big thing that she's trying to make happen. And I, I love that about people who, uh, like yourself, that, that that's I find it very attractive um, and I'm not trying to, uh, you know, ask you out for a date on uh, <laughs> on the video, but, but I, I find it very attractive and I think people find it very attractive. So... And I want to talk about that. So people like you are attract lots of people. You are attractive in what you profess and, and the way you live, and you live your life, as you said, to your values. Is there a responsibility attached to that? How do you mean? Well, do you feel as though you have to continually evolve and evolve and live that that style of life in order that those people who follow you, and I don't mean in a social media sense, I'm just saying people who follow your views and read your books or read your notes, et cetera, do you feel some level of responsibility to make sure you don't ever let them down? So, I mean, are you likely to say, okay, in five years' time, I've had enough of this life, I'm going to be going back to becoming an entrepreneur, like the old school entrepreneur? You know, Do you ever feel um, some, not pressure, but a sense of obligation to those people? Or are you completely free and it doesn't matter to you? No, I do feel that. This is an interesting question. I've never thought about this before. That the value... Sorry, let me just start this by saying, I do feel that, but only up to a point. And everybody who has an audience gets to decide for them where that point is. So I have a couple famous friends who feel no obligation to their audience whatsoever. Uh, They don't answer their email. They don't even look at their email. Uh, They are unreachable. They say, no, you can't contact me. If you're a VIP, call my agent. I'm not going to bother with the people. And then you have some people who say, you know what? Making my fans happy is really, really important. Um, So important. But... It's not the most important thing in my life. Like the most important thing in my life is my family or my sanity or something like that. And then you have people that take it too far the other direction then, continuing on that uh, spectrum, of people who give too much to the world, who drive themselves crazy trying to be what the world wants them to be. Uh, And they destroy their personal life and their sanity in the process, and we've seen some uh, rock stars or movie stars do that kind of thing. Um, so I think everybody gets to draw their line where it works for them. So I think my line is actually much higher than most. I spend, like yesterday, it was kind of extreme, but yesterday I spent 5 a.m. to 10 p.m nonstop, and I mean like really only quick bathroom breaks, and I stopped for three minutes to eat, 
But other than that, 5 a.m. to 10 p.m., sitting in a chair answering emails all day long. I answered 425 emails yesterday. It was hard, and I was tired, and I wanted to stop. But I was like, no, 425 people have emailed me. I'm answering these today. These have been sitting here for a few days. But... When my boy comes home from school, uh, yesterday I didn't, my, I have an 11-year-old son. And so yesterday um, he was over at his mom's house, not at my house. But today at 3 o'clock he comes over here. So no matter what, I don't care what the world wants from me, when he shows up here at 3 o'clock, I stop everything. Computer's off, phones are off, world can blow up for all I care. I'm with my boy. So that's where I draw the line. And I do draw the line at my sanity. So I can imagine that if... A day like yesterday with, uh, what is that, 5 to 10, that's uh, 17 hours. If if I had another 17-hour day, sorry, if I had too many 17-hour days of answering email in a row, I would say, okay, this is unsustainable. This is affecting my happiness. And I might be likely to say, all right, world, I have given a lot. <laughs> I'm done. I'm off to a monastery in India now. See you in a few years, if ever. Goodbye. You know, I'd feel okay doing that. But yeah, we all set our set point where you want. It's a fun question. Thanks for asking that. What do you mean by, just so people can understand, what do you mean by an epiphany? It does have biblical sort of connotations, but oh, does what it? do you... Oh. Well, I, th- I, th- I think it is has its roots in Latin or something like that. But oh. what what do you mean by epiphany? What is it just a realization about something that you have been pondering about for some time or never thought about at all? Yeah. Um, <laughs> a friend of mine who was single and dating used to have epiphanies like every couple of days. She would go on a bunch of Tinder dates and like tell me about them. And she'd say, you know, here's an example of a real one. I just realized that, you know, we talk about the love languages and some people say that what's your love language? Oh, mine is touch. Mine is acts of service. Mine is uh, words of affirmation or whatever. She said, my love language is consistency. She said, without consistency, nothing else matters. She said, I went on a few dates with this guy that was like great the first date, but then like a raging jerk the second date, but then he was great the third date. And she said, I don't want to see this guy ever again, no matter how great he was for two out of the three dates. He's inconsistent. And that just makes me feel scared and I don't want to feel scared in a relationship so that's just a tiny example of an epiphany it's like ooh epiphany consistency matters more than any other relationship trait you know epiphany so little things like that I I think I have those kind of epiphanies ideally every day at least every week wow about about things you want in yourself or things you want in relationships as well Oh, I mean, about anything, about life, about parenting, about money, about my house, about exercise, about friendships, about uh, music, anything, yeah. Can, can I ask you, because I've got this project I've been thinking about and trying to work on for some time, and I haven't made much of an inroad into it, but I had an epiphany, to use your word. <laughs> Hopefully this is correct, but um, maybe about... Uh, Six months ago, I was with my 90-year-old father who, and I was there, I'm his elder son, and then I was there at the same time was my my son, one of my four sons, and then he had his son there. So it's four generations. And um, and I was looking at my age and I thought to myself, and I was looking how happy my dad was having four generations of people there and people who he loves and he likes to hang around. And we're all talking stuff and laughing and having a bit of fun. And it was just a quite a nice moment. And I thought to myself, wow, that's something I'd like to enjoy one day. And mm. I, math, I worked out the maths and I uh, worked out in order for me to do that, I have to live to 100 to experience the same thing with my younger son because I don't want to experience just one son. I, I would like all sons for me to experience it with all sons and their kids. So I worked out I need to live to 100. And then uh, I thought to myself, well, in order to lift 100, I'm 67 now, in order to lift 100, um, I need to change some things. Um, and I've been following Peter Tier and all the usual people you would listen to about how you change your life around sleep and nutrition and exercise, et cetera, de-stressing your life. Um, 
And then I started thinking to myself, and it was a bit of an epiphany. The thought was a bit of an epiphany. The second part of it, though, was I started thinking, well, hang on, am I being selfish um, by wanting to do that, by living to 100? Um, what, do you have any thoughts, philosophical ideas around this process? You know, you know, do you think ever to yourself, I would like to live to 100 or I want, there's an age at which I want to live to or there's an age at which I don't care whether I live past it. I've done everything. I'm, I'm happy. And is it selfish by thinking this way? Um, I honestly don't think about it. Whenever I start thinking about it, it only lasts 10 seconds. And then I stop thinking about it. So just in general, I try to make decisions that will help me stay healthy as long as possible. And that about and after that, you know, I think that there's some cancers that are out of your control. I do a lot of uh what do you call it? preemptive, proactive healthcare. Uh I go in for medical checkups every 6 to 12 months even though I don't have to. Uh I love doing that. Um and uh but other than that I don't think about the um living a long time. I, I hope it happens, but it feels like it's somewhat out of my control. Okay, so, but the selfish thing, that's fascinating because I think it's unfortunate that currently in English, in our culture today, the word selfish is considered negative, has negative connotations. I think it should have positive connotations because it means you are valuing yourself and taking care of yourself. It doesn't necessarily mean that you are devaluing others or hurting others. I think it just means that you are taking care of yourself. I think we should, when we hear the word selfish, we should think self-care, right? And stop thinking that it necessarily implies harming others. So. I think a lot of people could do with being a little more selfish. I think a lot of people are miserable because they are trying to be the perfect employee. They're trying to be the perfect spouse. They're trying to be the perfect, uh, I don't know, public figure when they could use a little more self-care and healthy selfishness. Yeah, I think that's well, that was sort of the conclusion I arrived at too. Because cool. I, I, I like to take the view there's nothing wrong with being looking after yourself as opposed to being self-centered within, right. within your community. There's a right. big difference. And I always thought to myself, there's nothing wrong, by the way, with um, if that makes me happy one day or that thought makes me happy today to think that one day I might be able to do those things that, that my father now does. Hmm. Taking into account that anything that happened, cancer, all sorts of things, then it's not you're not. I'm not being selfish by having that thought and and all and living my life that way. And in that regard, I'm I'm fortunate enough I can actually live the life because similar to you, I get all those baseline checks and you know I, I'm a big believer in uh, knowing what's ahead of me to some extent or knowing what I'm dealing with. I, I'm not someone who just wants to hope the best is going to happen, uh, mm -hmm. irrespective of how I live my life. It's and selfishness is a uh, leads me to the next question or the next concept I want to ask you about. What do you think about the concept of love? I mean, how do you, how would you define, uh, and let's talk talk about love because there's lots of types of love, seems to cover everything, but these days especially. But say love in, in, in terms of a relationship, like your other party, your other person relationship. I know you've you just mentioned that you have an expert. You know, what, what, what does what does that mean? Because, you know, people use that word so loosely today. I love my dog. I love my kids. I love my <laughs> wife. I love my car. I love my hamburgers. I love my footy team, <laughs> et cetera. And I mean, it can't mean everything. There's obviously different parts. So what do you see that? Because see about that because it can impact your freedom if you go about it the wrong way. Hmm. Sorry, I don't have that much to say on this. I, I also get a little stumped when I think of what love means. I, I think to me it's a combination of caring about somebody as much or more than you care about yourself combined with admiration. Like you have to love who the person is. 
Um, though that doesn't fit for people who say, I love my dog. Um, I don't know, maybe it does. I think we love our dog regardless of whether we admire who they are or not. But I found that uh, it's a hard one when you are in a romantic relationship with somebody that you realize that you don't respect, you don't admire, you don't um, respect their values or something like that. And you have to ask yourself, like, what am I, what am I doing here? Um, is that even love? I'm not sure. Um, sorry, I think that's about where my thoughts on this end. But can, can you admire someone who has different values to you? I mean, is it important? Oh, of course, yeah. To, yes. But be in a relationship so much so that you're in a relationship with that individual? I think so. Yeah. Um, that's what's wonderful about traveling is not just looking at a picture of the, I mean, not, not just looking at the Eiffel Tower and taking a picture, but when you really get to know different cultures and you learn that different cultures value different things and you learn, like, say, the Confucian mindset of uh, East Asian cultures and you learn the... Um, say that the the French mindset, which values uh, rebellion and why they value rebellion. And you start to understand these things and internalize them and realize these are all working philosophies. It's like as if you were taking a philosophy 101 course and they're saying, okay, now we're going to teach you about stoicism. Now we're going to teach you about cynicism. Now we're going to teach you about Nietzsche. Now we're going to teach you about this. You, you learn that each of these philosophies can be a congruent way of approaching the world. Uh, even though they all disagree, you can choose one. I guess like, uh, like religions, too, that uh, you could say that uh, Judaism and uh, Islam are incompatible in their beliefs, but you can choose one, and either one works, right? Um so I think it's like that with values, that you can uh, marry and live with somebody that values different things that you do than you do. Uh, an introvert can marry an extrovert. An extrovert who values meeting new people above all things can marry somebody who never wants to meet any new people ever again, you know. And as long as they can work it out, um, they can live a good life as long as they respect each other's uh, difference in values. Are you someone subject. who likes to? Are you, yeah, are you someone who likes to meet lots of people, or are you more the introvert? Uh-huh. Um, it's just recently changed for me. Um, I think these things sometimes we think of them as personality traits, but I think they can be a reaction to our circumstances. So, for years, I was in situations where I was meeting a lot of people who wanted something from me that I didn't have that thing to give. And that was kind of post-CD Baby. I sold my company for $22 million in 2008. And immediately, many people were drawn to me that came to me looking for how to get rich. And I had no thoughts for them on that. Or lots of people that came to me wanting to do business or wanting me to invest in their startup or all these things that I don't do that. I cannot give you this. But so many people wanted that from me that I reacted by going into a, an antisocial cave. <laughs> I moved to New Zealand partially to escape all the people that wanted things from me that I didn't want to give or had was unable to give. So I moved to New Zealand where I knew nobody so I could just focus on raising my son in nature. He was I moved down here when he was a few months old specifically to give my full attention to raising him. That's the reason I moved here. And um but now that he's 11 and doesn't need my full-time attention anymore, I'm starting to crave meeting new people. And so I just uh 2 months ago went to India and I, w I could only go for eight days. So what I did is in eight days, I lined up 50 meetings, one to two hours long each. So that means every single day from 9 a.m. to 10 p.m., 
I met with a new person every two hours. Somebody would come at nine, eleven, one, three, five, seven, and nine every day for eight days in a row. And so I had 50 conversations in seven days, and I loved it. It was amazing. It feels like one of the best things I've ever done in my life. So much so, I just want to do that again and again and again. I want to go to Lagos, Nigeria and meet 50 people in seven days. I want to go to Nairobi, Kenya and meet 50 people in seven days. I'd love to go to Jakarta, Indonesia and meet 50 people in seven days. Like, that was amazing. So, uh, am I an introvert? <laughs> I don't know. Um, it might just be more situational than a fixed characteristic. It's funny you, you should do that because I, I guess my obvious question is, why did you meet the 50? Were, were you trying to inquire about how they live their lives or what it's like to live in India or were they technology discussions or how did you choose these 50 people? Um, I was literally making friends. Of all the people I had the option to meet with, I only met with people that felt like they could become friends. It's very interesting. I hope you come to Australia soon. Put me on the list. <laughs> I'd like to. I would like to sit down with you for Thanks. an hour and a half or two hours, <laughs> yeah. and just yeah. outside of a podcast, but just talk to you about whatever. whatever yeah, clearly from up, our you know. hour of talking on air, I think we have a, yeah. a thing or two to talk about. Yeah, yeah no, totally. I mean, because I, I get intrigued by people. I mean, I live this very uh, obvious life. The life people see in social. Or, is actually my life because I spend so much time doing it. I don't have, I do have another life, but it pretty much is my life. And I get intrigued when I see someone like you who's completely challenged everything and come up with answers to everything and is, well, pretty much everything that they've challenged and they are happy having done that. And I look at you, you look all clear eyed and I mean, you might have had the worst sleep in the world last time, but you still look <laughs> clear eyed, you, know, you look clear and happy. Like you look like those Indian people who I used to see in India when I used to go there in the early 2000 period who had nothing but were so happy just hanging out with each other and uh, just just living a simple life. I once saw a movie with, um, oh, I can't think of his name, a famous actor, but he had, a back, was, he had this backpack and he, he went to give a lecture to a whole lot of people and he put, took the backpack off and put it on a table. He started taking things out of the backpack. Richard Gere was in the movie and he started taking stuff out of the backpack and he was basically using the backpack to say, the more things you have, the greater the burden is on your shoulders in a physical sense, but the greater the burden because you carry this stuff around. All of us every now and then got to take the backpack off and start to take some stuff out and empty it, whether it's houses or real estate or people in your life or things you're doing that you don't like that you just still keep doing. And I haven't really met anybody outside of watching Richard Gere, who actually lives that life like you do. So oh. to me, it's been quite a fascinating conversation. I mean, I, and if you do come to I mean it, I'd love to talk to you more because you're giving me, a, you're, you have given me, I'm being very selfish now because the audience probably couldn't give a stuff what I think about, but, but I'm actually enjoying this conversation whilst I'm doing it for my audience. I'm actually doing it for me. I've got a lot out of this by talking to you, Derek. I've enjoyed, and we haven't probably talked much about your books and stuff like that. I'm sorry, oh, I, I apologize for that because I'm out of time. <laughs> but it probably doesn't matter to you. Most of my guests would be really upset now that I hadn't talked about their books and what they <laughs> wanted to promote. But you probably don't care so much. And no. uh, But so I, I really appreciate the conversation. Um, I've enjoyed a lot. And uh, I actually have gained something uh, substantial out of talking to you today. Thanks, Mark. Appreciate it. Thank, thank you. Thank you for listening to another episode of Straight Talk with Mark Boris. Audio production by Jessica Smalley. Production assistants, Jonathan Leondis and Simon McDermott. This is a Mentored Podcast. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 